All right, man. We got my buddy Jordan O'Connor here tonight. How you doing? Podcast TV. What's going on, man? Not too much. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate that. My pleasure. So, man, for any of you listening, Jordan, uh, we actually recently met. It's only been a few months. Um, everyone else who I've had on the show, I've known for years. So it's kind of cool to get someone like Jordan on where don't really know much about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's something I'm really interested in. So. We met in school. We met in school, York University. That's where we're doing the show from, actually. Yeah. Getting our money's worth. In mediation? In mediation. resolution. Have you talked about being in this class? I haven't. I haven't. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, why don't we ask you, why did you take the course? I took the course. So dispute resolution, for anyone who doesn't know, um, it's basically an alternative to court, alternative to getting lawyers involved. You kind of settle disputes together. Um, I just love that it was, it's, it's very like personal communication is a big part of it. Similar to why I like doing the podcast. Like it's really, you're talking and working things out. And uh, I learned about it when I went to another school and I I just figured I'd keep this interest going. Uh, that's why I really got into it. How about yourself? Well, but on you, you did the, uh, the Humber, you did a course on mediation. Yeah. That triggered it for sure. That's where I learned about it. Mm -hmm. But I basically just learned the name. I always was interested in kind of working with people, trying to, you know, diffuse situations. I'm not a confrontational guy by any means. Mm. Um, and I like the idea of, you know, working together to keep something, you know, and instead of going, everyone's so excited to get, bring conflict to number one, fight, swear, everything. Mm. I think it's cool to try to work things out. Mm. Um, and then when I learned it was actually like a field to go down, Super interested in that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing is, everybody's looking for meaning in whatever way. Right. And often we connect meaning with conflict. So we think, if I'm in conflict, I have meaning in my life. Exactly. The classic example is the couple that fights. And they are, I'm not talking about anything violently, but they argue. And then, you know, somebody goes on a date with somebody and they don't fight and they think, oh, there wasn't really anything special there. There wasn't really yeah. any kind of. It's, without realizing it, what was missing was the conflict, was the frustration, was the antagonism, was what they confounded being meaning. And so if we look at conflict as being this thing that we associate with meaning, then we can understand why people put themselves into so many conflict situations. However, if we can take a step back and think about what meaning is in our lives, and what we would like it to be. Do we really want the conflict? I think many people would say, well, you know, it's not really healthy for me. It's not healthy for relationships. It's not healthy for me physically, mentally, or spiritually. But why am I still doing it? Why am I drawn to conflict? And, you know, taking this mediation class and getting into thinking more about what role dispute resolution can play. Essentially what we're doing is we're saying, is there a space between what we want, meaning, and the results were coming to, which was happening in the form of conflict. And I, and I think that's the interesting thing for me. But I'm more interested in the interpersonal side. I'm not interested right. in the, you know, like I don't want to be a lawyer or right. I don't care about that kind of stuff. Because I think so much potential is lost um, because we're jumping to some kind of conclusion based on conflict. Oh, absolutely, man. Like it, you see it every day. People, um, like we learn about this thing, go out to the balcony, basically takes, yeah. just take a minute instead of snapping, think about it. Mm-hmm. If, if that was how people operated on a daily basis, man, imagine how much nicer it would be to, to deal with people. Cause I feel like you're kind of similar to me in that you look for positive shit. It's hard when people aren't on that same wavelength. Yeah. So you have to be even more positive. You know what I mean? Do you feel that? Well, it's, it's interesting you should say that because, yes, I winning at all costs is not really something that makes any sense to me. Me neither. I would rather just walk away from a scenario yeah. um, than win at whatever cost. I, I think a part is when you become really, you know, another thing that's important to us in addition to meaning is autonomy. And I think if you, if a, a being able to do your own thing is important, then fighting with people becomes less important. Oh, buddy. So as a result, 
this idea of A, conflict, and then B, autonomy, you think, you know what, I'd rather just be on my own and fight up this issue. However, for some people, there really is this need to be understood, to be heard. Um, and the, again, go back to that idea of conflict being the same as meaning, or conflict being understood as meaning. They'll keep on returning to that well. And, you know, you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It's the definition of insanity. So, I think, you know, in terms of you and I being interested in doing different things, like you're doing this podcast, for example, and doing it just because you want to, not because somebody told you, not because you have these aspirations about, oh, it's going to be a hit and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. You're just saying, and the way you've talked about it is, I think this is interesting. I think we can now make this kind of content, do these kinds of things, and we don't have to be controlled by other people. Speaks to something that resonates with me, which is fundamentally you and I saying we put a lot of weight on autonomy. Oh. We want to do our thing. So when we were in a role play, and I've noticed this, and I'm sure you've noticed it with me, where somebody just really wants to fight, 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 we're like, let's just move on. Honestly. Like, give it to them. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I learned that as a kid, I think. Like, I, when I think about it, I feel like I've always been that way. Like, in the playground, if someone, you know, was just trying to show off, like, I'm like, all right, man, do what you got to do. And I'm 10 years old, feel that way. And it's the same thing today, because I feel like people think that, um, you know, getting your money's worth in terms of arguing and all this type of thing. It's like a, it's not being a coward. It's like being tough. And I just don't see it that way at all. I just feel like it's a waste of time a lot of the time. So what draws people into it? Because people definitely... It's a great question that I don't know. And you'll notice that people will repeat the same thing and they'll repeat it, they'll repeat it, they'll repeat it. What's interesting about mediation the repetitions, essentially. Yes. The, the underlying principle being is the words are actually just the surface of something, a kind of symbol or reference that is being drawn upon in some way as a kind of pointing hand towards some other emotion or experience that hasn't really been articulated and isn't really understood. So as a result, that person saying, there's something here, there's something here, there's something here, there's something here. And when they don't feel heard, they go back to, there's something here, there's right. something here, there's something here, there's something here. Right. And that frustration that they feel is because they're not exactly sure how to articulate. They're looking for a third party to hear them, yes. to say, okay, that thing that you're pointing at, now I hear you. But that's not going to quite be enough because then they need to have that not only be heard, but then become something that they can communicate, talk yeah. about, and experience in whatever way, at which point they start to think, okay, there's something beneath this thing that was triggering this feeling, this frustration, this anxiety. So, for example, somebody realizing, like, you know, people in the class have talked openly about a variety of different things, but realizing that maybe something that happened at work relates to how they've been treated in life in other ways. And that's actually right. why that thing became so significant in work. It's not really that just fixing that one isolated instant incident and work would make their entire lives better. It's that there was an opportunity for that win. For that win. Yeah. That win-win that we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you asked me why I kind of had an interest in this course. I want to ask you the same thing. What kind of led you to this? Because you're involved in uh, the music world, right? I'm in, involved in music and the arts. So I'm involved arts. in film and music. Uh, as a musician and as a composer and as a filmmaker. And predominantly on the side of post-production, so that means film editing, composing. Right. I, but I've been getting into directing the project. So, um, and what music and film share is they're both mediums of time. So I'm interested in the art of time, essentially. Okay. And how I came to mediation is arguably a happy accident. I was actually at the BMV bookstore just off Young downtown. Love that place, man. Yeah. I was there last week. Okay. Love that place. Well, I was in there and I was looking in the film section and there was a, a misshelved book on dispute resolution. And I looked at it and noticed it and noticed that it wasn't a film book and looked away and a part of me thought, well, why aren't you exploring this? Why aren't you just seeing what this book is? And there's an interesting thing that happens on a creative level, you know, where Creativity is essentially the exploration of the unknown, right? So we, in life, we like things to be conventional or normal or, or the path of least resistance, for example. But 
if we start to challenge those relationships, then we are ended up finding a creative synthesis of things that maybe in the past didn't seem to connect, but on an intuitive level, we're drawn to them, and then they can become something that's connected. So in the same way that, for example, the history of painting, if you think about what painting is, painting started out as being based upon shapes to a large extent, geometry. But then you get into Rembrandt, and you get into the Romantic period, all of a sudden, creating of images was based upon shading. In other words, light. Light became the motivation and the way of expressing form. So that way of thinking was a huge paradigm shift. And if you, if you think about the paintings that we saw before, let's say Rembrandt, versus the paintings we saw after, you see that, oh, there was a huge synthesis of ideas. And then you bring in the camera, and all of a sudden painters thought, okay, I'll take a picture of them. I don't need to paint the portrait right. anymore. So then you get into expressionism, abstract expressionism. So in other words, by having different things become available, a new way of seeing the world becomes available. And painters, in that case, start to bring all sorts of different things together. That also includes being able to have access to better paints and all the things that went along with that. So in a similar way with dispute resolution, it was this happy accident, and I'm in a film section, I see awesome. a book on dispute resolution, and I started reading it, and I thought, I've been doing this my whole life, much like you had said. Yeah. And... The other component of this, which is interesting, is I was becoming increasingly frustrated in the film business. Okay. Because so much of the content and the comments I was getting from producers was basically edit for conflict. They want the drama. They want the drama. They yeah. want the conflict. So they would even cast the conflict. Right. So take two people that you would assume would be in conflict, put them in a car together, and that's the show. Right. And I was becoming more and more frustrated with that approach. Uh, because I don't, I think there's enough conflict. I don't think we need to add to the conflict, anymore, yeah. which is kind of the MSG of emotions, right? So yeah, and so I like that. Yeah, coming to this dispute resolution book, even though it was a, a non-film book in a film section, it turned out to be very much a film book, at least from the perspective I was having on film. So yeah, dispute resolution and mediation in York. It turned out that. Once I went home and Googled it, there was a course starting up in about a week and a half. No way. So I was... That's crazy how that worked out, man. Well, when did our course start? January. January 19th or something? Yeah. Something I didn't... Like I didn't... I wasn't in that book... I was in that bookstore after... In, in this year. So in the beginning That's of January. Wild, man. So it was just a week or two later. It's crazy how that worked out, eh? Yeah. It's so wild. It was bizarre. I, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about creativity generally is if we're open to seemingly disparate things coming together like you do in this podcast then unique connection starts to happen but if we're worried about failure and if we're worried about and if we have an expectation on success then we're actually bringing the critic to the table and the old rule is never bring the critic to the table man i'm so happy you brought that up because as i'm getting a little older that's what i'm seeing i'm seeing people around me unhappy because they're not happy with where they are but they're just not doing anything to get out of that. Yeah. I think we all have doubts about where we are in life, but like even this is kind of like a deep thought, but I want to see how you feel about mm -hmm. it. Like, let's say you were having a bad day the day you went to the bookstore and you just wanted to stay in bed or whatever. Yeah. Waste the whole day. Mm -hmm. This would not have happened. You wouldn't have learned any of this good shit. Yeah. By you just going to the store put you in a position to learn something and that's what I feel like I'm trying to do is be in a position to have some good stuff happen mm -hmm. you know what I mean I, I don't know how you feel about that that's what I'm really getting from this just just being around people you never know what can come from it yeah. it is kind of selfish in a way because you you know maybe this will benefit me but it's also a great thing well, you know what I mean I do I think you know we're in this interesting time where we try and monetize our own experience yeah. in whatever way we can. And the language of money is so ubiquitous that we've allowed it to frame virtually every aspect of our life. Yeah. So we have to step back for a moment and say, okay, just as an ideal, ideological perspective, just from an ideological perspective, it's our way of, it's a singular way of seeing the world that infringes upon or defines or in whatever way uh, controls or mitigates um, our romantic relationships, our professional relationships, the way we think, right? The way we think. So, for example, you say, I have this idea, I want to do a podcast, and then it pops in your mind, how would I make money? 
So before we've really explored anything, we're already thinking it's got to... So for example, in the music world, people will say, oh, I want to do a video and I want it to go viral. And it sounds funny, but they're serious. Oh, yeah. And it's ludicrous. Um, but it's because what they actually want, and this is the real tragic part, is they want the fame because they don't have and haven't learned about the relationship to the creative process. To, in other words, the, the process of making as being the fundamental. Exactly. That ends up making a very, unfortunately, weak population because we're just looking for an end result. So, you know, to your point about, okay, well, maybe I'm being selfish, I would say the reason why you're not being selfish so yeah, I just wanted to talk about you had mentioned this idea maybe I'm being selfish and there, there is a component I think you know we all want to be accepted we all want whatever however that translates but there is this idea of um, what is the greater good right yeah and I think as artists the challenge we face is on the one hand we're being told you know, to brand ourselves and to be this very singular thing and to be perhaps even selfish about trying to get whatever our, our goal is achieved. But the, the principle of the greater good, as it pertains not only to the arts, but um, as it pertains to everything, is we're a small part of what we call the greater good. So if you say, I just want to make a podcast where I talk to people about ideas because I think we're not actually just talking. I think we're maybe um, shouting political um, rhetoric at one another, or we have religious ideology that we're espousing without really investigating. Whatever it is we're doing, we're not actually simply talking. So to me, what this podcast is about and what you're doing is emphasizing the greater good of communication. And it really does become about we're smaller forces. We're, we're, we're not these big, godlike, transformative uh, superheroes that we want to imagine ourselves as, we are actually more of a, a lateral perspective on power where we're in a network, right? right? So I'm doing stuff, you're doing stuff, other people are doing stuff, and slowly but surely, a network of people start to think, okay, this is what communication is. We have to redefine it for ourselves. We can't wait for the media to define it for ourselves. Exactly. We can't wait for a politician or a religious icon or whomever to define it. We actually need to be in charge of our own reality. In other words, we need to take charge of self-determination. And so art in that way, getting away from the money side, is really about, I think, the, the ability for a person to self-determine. I agree, man, absolutely, because art is just something where you just have to do it, and that's it. Like, there's no, there's no, like, business plan for art which is what i love about it like and i'm not someone with very many artistic abilities at all man you tell me draw a circle i'm gonna fucking draw a square um but i just love that it's just you can experiment with it like my favorite music is not people with the most classically trained voice or most crisp sound it's about the emotion i feel from it and um that's really what I like. And I can relate it to this, this mediation stuff too, right? It's not like you're looking at statutes like in law or there's different precedents, this and that. Every situation is pretty unique. You know what I mean? You have to work around it. You have to do these reframing techniques that we've learned about, different ways of using words. I feel like it is a bit of an art, to be honest with you. And um, I, just think it's, I just think it's such a cool thing, to be honest. Well, I think... Mediation or, or anything is more about what an individual brings to it. Exactly. And so even in this course, you and I have been exposed to a variety of different perspectives on mediation. Um, some are really more along the lines of what you might expect from a lawyer, right? They're thinking uh, about um, the facts and figures, the rules, the regulations, or rights-based. Um, and they're making their decisions based on that. And I don't want to get into arguing the merits of that or whatever, but to me the real potential in mediation, at least that I'm interested in, is more what can happen in the conversation when you get into emotions. And, and there is a pushback against that. There oh, is yeah. at times 
oh, we don't have time to talk about the emotions. We don't have time to get into the massive emotion. And I think we spend more time talking about how we don't have the time to talk about emotions. 100%. That I think if we just talked about the emotions, not only would we stop wasting time talking about not having time to talk about emotions. Exactly. We would open ourselves up to something. And if you're not getting a little bit uncomfortable, then you're not getting real. And the challenge, I think, with the art side of being an artful mediator or artful art, artist or an artful husband or wife or whatever it is, is embracing the unknown and the uncomfortable. Absolutely. If you come in with a procedure and a policy and you, or a set of rules or regulations or whatever, and you impose it, then you're removing the human potential for failure, but you're also removing the human potential for an unknown success or win or exactly similar like you go into the bookstore with unknown success mm. i don't i think you probably are similar to me in this way when i have more procedure in front of me i get more uncomfortable i think a lot of people get more comfortable for me i feel tied down like i need my space to do what i have to do i feel like that's how i do my best Work. I don't know if that's similar with you. For sure. I mean, even you know, the last presentation in tonight's class was based more upon employment uh, mediation, and it's an area that is certainly applicable to other class members, and they had day-to-day working experiences of what that meant to them. It's not my world. That's yeah. Um, and yes, it's good to be exposed to things, but to me, uh, you know, my question. It's kind of maybe lower on the chain. You know, when you have employees in a situation where they are trying to use the system to benefit their, their, let's say they're very unhappy where they're working, so they're using whatever policy they can to maybe work less or, yeah. or similarly, less the employer is not happy with the employee, but they can't really get rid of them, so they try and do whatever they can by restructuring to try and get them out. All of these are tricks. They're, they're disingenuous forms of communication to try and get a result by circumventing the emotional conflict, the interpersonal conflict between the parties. And they may be rationalized in policies, but the thing I'm really reticent about with all of this is as for anybody who reads history, you can't help but read the history, and this is just as true as today in its own way, of sexism of racism, of xenophobia, and all of these different codified ways. I mean, the residential school system in Canada didn't end until 1996, right? These are not, these are not policies that are far away from us, right? So just because we create a rule doesn't mean we've created a moral right. And so that's the thing I find weird about the employment stuff at times because I see, yes, the employee might have acted like an asshole, and yes, the employer might have acted like an asshole. But the rules are going to address them being assholes. Exactly. You know, it's crazy you're bringing this stuff up, man, because this is really what I've been dealing with in the last little bit. Like in the corporate world, I guess you can call it, like it's always production and uh you know, networking, all these things. And I'm literally thinking, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm alone, but I think being a good person still counts for something. I don't give a shit if you're, if you're the most successful person in the world. If you're not a nice person, I don't think of you as highly. And they could have all the shiny stuff. To me, being that honest person where, like you said, this people doing disingenuous things, stuff like that, I, I notice it. Yeah. And it affects, you know what I mean? I, I think of you differently if you do that. If I see someone a little, you know, down on their luck, whatever, but I see that they're doing good things, hard work, honest, I respect that all day, man. I don't care. They, people make mistakes, things like that. To me, being an honest person is, counts for a lot. In the world we live in today, it's not, it doesn't count as much popularly. You know what I mean? Mm. On the internet, like you said earlier, the people want to get famous fast. It's got nothing to do with being a good person, honest. So if I see someone getting famous past, it doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. I need to see that they're treating people fairly, being honest. You know what I'm trying to yeah. say? That to me means a lot because it's rare. You don't see it that mm-hmm. often, unfortunately, but it is rare. But for you, there's a space, right? There's a space between the action and the reaction. 
and exactly. somebody else might panic or freak out or say, okay, let's just do this. And you want to think about it and you want to know well, what do other people do or what are the options or exactly. why can't we talk about this? And so I think you have this natural um, disposition to not jump to an assertion or a conclusion. And your demeanor is very much that, right? You're, you're observing, you're mellow. You'll not say anything, and all of a sudden you'll say something. You're just waiting and listening. And, yeah. And and so, you know, it's interesting. There's this Charles Bukowski line. And he says, if you want to find the writer in the room, just look for the person who's standing on the outside of the room observing. And so you have very much that writer's perspective of, okay, I'm going to watch and look, and then you'll make a comment or you'll make right. an assertion or whatever it is. Whereas other people just want to jump straight into it. And I think if you're going to jump straight into it, then really how much time do you have? You're going to say, I want to be famous. You're going to say, I want to be this. I want to be that. You're going to, and it's not even because you do. You're going to say it because that's what we say now, right? Yep. We don't just say, I want to make a YouTube video. We say, I want to make a YouTube video that goes viral, right? We don't just say, um, I want to explore my own self. We want to say, I want to rebrand myself. Um, even in terms of people in relationships, they say, you know, I don't deserve to be uh, in this kind of situation because my real self is not being actualized. So they're speaking about themselves as this kind of thing that they need to actualize, when in fact, you are always actualized. Right. It's just a question of what relationship are you having with that? In other words, are you jumping right into it or are you giving yourself a chance to perhaps see patterns in relationships or patterns in compensation or whatever it is? And I think for you, and Brent, I, I share this, I think, if you tend to be a person who kind of observes, then it seems a little bit like a madhouse when people are treating each other really badly right. and then going home saying, I think people should treat people well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but you were completely wrong in that yeah. situation and you're completely selfish in this situation and arrogant in this situation. And, um, but I think it's also us, you know, you and I looking at our own contradictions. Oh, yeah. I'm very hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but what you just said, I've never really heard it put that way, but mm -hmm. that was an excellent way of putting it. I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, because that, that's something I really enjoy to hear too, people from different perspectives. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you for sharing that on the show, man. Oh, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's that. a deep, that's a deep look into mm -hmm. things. And, and do you get, do you feel like you've always kind of been that type of thinker? Like when you were a kid, do you feel like you were that type of observer style? Yeah, I think you know some of it would have been the result of my circumstance, but I think also I think you know, I don't have kids, but when I hear people talk about having kids, they say there's a personality right out of the gate, you know, pretty yeah. early on, certainly within you know after six months. Um, but even earlier, I think I've been that observer person, yeah. and I watch and. I tend, I can be very hard on myself. And because of my experiences, there's a, a pretty wide range of mental options in terms of places I can go, which on one hand means I can feel unstable, but on the other hand, it means I can contemplate lots of different possibilities. Right. So there's a reason why we want to limit when people talk about, you know, with the idea of mediation, let's not talk about emotions, it's chaos. There's a reason why I feel more comfortable in that. Yeah. Because the rule scenario, I just tune out. Same. And so even in tonight's lecture, you know, I can tell myself it's important. I can tell myself it's interesting. And I can tell myself that maybe this is a better way to make a living as a mediator. But I, I can't make myself care about it. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, I think, listen, the only time my mind actually calms and feels like I'm in the right place is when I'm actually around emotional world. Yeah. Because at that point, I feel like what I'm connecting with is actually the source. Everything else feels like I'm talking about cosmetics. And that may not be the right way to look at it for everybody, and I'm not saying it is. But for me, unless we're really getting into the shit, I just don't care. Um, and it's the only time I can kind of calm myself and feel like, okay, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on. And today I went to, to observe at family court, and this woman I'm filming she was going to do a hearing. And so we were there for quite a short time, which is unusual. Um, and I, I got to say, you know, I had every expectation that I would be pretty freaked out going to the court. I was 
uneasy in the sense that I didn't know where things were. But in terms of my feeling, I was very comfortable there. Yeah. Now, to be clear, I wasn't there as a plaintiff or a defendant, right? So I, I wasn't, I, I had no skin in the game. I was really just like a fly on the wall. Right. So I wasn't bringing that to it. But I actually felt like, you know what? This is fucking hard and people are struggling with this real shit here. Yeah. This is, and this, this place needs to be a focus. We need to think about this. We need to think about what is going on for these families and dealing with this directly. I don't know what a policy is going to do here. I don't know what a law is going to do here. I know that each family is going to be facing a unique set of challenges. And right now, as a society, we're arguably failing at that. And so it feels like policies and laws become band-aids, duct tape to fix things, as opposed to systemic change. So anyway, without getting into the whole family law thing, you know, in interviewing this woman, the reason why I wanted to talk to her is because she decided that she was going to empower herself, and she decided she wasn't going to let the system or her ex define her experience. And so she was going to study and learn, and she self-represents, and she's game on, and she does the whole part, and she is full on about, this is my son, and I'm here to protect my son. That's my job. It's not about me, it's about my son. And she empowers herself. And I think, there you go. There's somebody in the midst of all of these rules, you know, all of these societal things, and she learns them, but she's doing it for this underlying emotional reason, and that to me is where the source is. Absolutely, man. That that's a good story to hear because when I hear those things, it keeps me it keeps me in that positive mindset. Like, hey, you can still be yourself and succeed. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's it's important to see that because. Um, you can really get lost. You can you can get lost if you see things that you don't agree with, and then. Well, how do you get lost? What's it, what are? I get lost, man, because. See, I feel like I do a pretty good job of staying being myself when I can, but it does take a toll on me sometimes when I when I when I see people just ignoring that something's happening or not happening and it's all right let's just keep it going things have to be addressed man you know what i mean i was actually talking to my buddy about this we were in montreal last week i told you about that yeah, actually yeah. good time but we were talking to each other like man so i'm 23 um we're both 23 and i don't know like my my early 20s is difficult because it's just like so many different ways to go right everyone's kind of all my friends are in different places i'm in a different place it's all really just new that's the thing that i'm dealing with the one thing that it it hits me when i'm around my peers and i just feel like they're oh everything's good man everything's good but i know it's not good and they're talking about i just got this car i got this i got this i'm like man i know you you can talk to me mm. you know what i mean that bothers me because then I feel like I can't say my shit, which is partially why I did this podcast to yeah. be able to air that out. But when I meet someone like yourself, people like Greg, yeah. um, where I see you've stuck, like you've, you've, con- you've beat it, like you've, um, you, you've lived a life as yourself. Mm. It gives someone like me hope, like it's all right, man, just keep doing your thing mm. and you'll be all right. Well, you doing your thing, I mean, I applaud you, of course, and I applaud, you know, when you told me about this podcast and you told me that you're doing this, the thing that I liked most about it is you were doing it to do it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that experience you're having with your peers, um, I don't want to ruin everything, but that's ongoing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know it is. And I'm 46, and there's peers who are drawn to things, and I can tell are looking for superficial ends to more substantive uh, experiences. Yeah. And the reality of it is you can't tell people not to, you know, be superficial because everybody has their own degree of tolerance, their own their own defense mechanisms, their own avoidance systems and all the rest of it. So I can say as an artist, um, and, you know, I should stipulate, as an artist, you know, there are people in the entertainment business or in the 
you know, so, but when I'm thinking about an artist, I'm thinking more of an auteur, more of somebody who's kind of a self-generating author. Yeah. Right? When I'm not talking about somebody who's selling their works necessarily yeah. or any of that kind of stuff. So to you as an artist who is seeing that there is this individual kind of auteur self-narrative development, which is what you're doing, the beautiful thing about that is you end up giving yourself more control and power. Um, the isolating thing is you're giving yourself more control and power. So, you know, the other day I had to talk to somebody on the phone from the government, and I was telling them my story about the situation. And within about a minute, I realized from their responses, I realized, right, they're on script. Exactly. They, they can't say, oh, Jordan, I hear what you're saying about X, Y, and Z. Okay, in this situation, let's do this. I realized I'm talking to somebody who has no autonomy. Exactly. And it was this profound shift in my mind, even in terms of mediation and, and, and how some mediators are really drawn towards the legalistic perspective, which is essentially removing your own autonomy. And I'm always moving towards the narrative, the transformative. Interest-based is the kind of the most controlled form of mediation that interests me. I'm, I'm interested in going further into this, trusting our our narratives right trusting our stories or ideas as teachers as exactly. in the same way that you said just now i'm 23 i have these peers i know these people they're saying these things to me that is your story that is the thing you are facing yeah right there's no external rule to oh well then just get this kind of job or just work in this kind of place and then everything will be fine meet this kind of person have this you know 2.5 kids whatever it is yeah because you're raising questions about it and challenging it, and you're observing and saying, listen, this doesn't feel right, you're essentially going on the solo artist journey, which is, I think there's another way of seeing the world, imagining the world. I don't necessarily know what that is, but I know it's not this. Exactly. Somebody else, and I think the thing we have to be kind of empathetic about is, saying that to certain people is literally like, Bringing the biggest kind of chaos into their life. Yeah. Imagine, right. You are, you're unplugging. You're taking them offline. Right. You're just, you're throwing the TV out the window. You're just, you're taking up and making it down. It, it, it's just too much. Yeah. So, in those contexts, we can feel isolated because we would want to connect with somebody where we can talk about up being down. Exactly. And some of these old friends that we had, maybe we can't. And in part, it's because they're friends we knew from school or from a work thing. And it was really the context yeah. that kind of kept us together. But when it becomes more about the interpersonal dynamics, and as we make these shifts internally, the relationship doesn't have the older kind of shell, you exactly. know, to hold it together. Yeah, man, I'm learning that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's cool though too. Mm. It's cool though too because you realize you're different. Mm. And um, I think a lot of the time people. You get nervous thinking that you're different, but I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You have something to offer. You have you always custom. felt like you're different? Hundred percent. So have you always felt nervous about being different? Never. Yeah. Never. When I was, I don't remember this, but my mom told me when I was in kindergarten, yeah. uh, my teacher, like the parent-teacher interviews or whatever, she told my mom, "Oh, he's a good kid, but he he doesn't really play with the other kids. He more just stands around and observes, like <laughs> we were saying." And when my mom told me that like recently I actually got really happy yeah I'm like all right the, you know it was always in place like yeah doing what you know what I mean mm -hmm. like it, it's like uh no I don't feel uncomfortable with that at all man but do you feel like you found realizing now that you're realizing or however long you realize this that you're an observer do you feel like the kind of career decisions or artistic decisions or personal decisions are reflecting this or do you feel that there's a bit of a disconnect um, I definitely feel like there's a disconnect and it does worry me. I also know that as long as I keep doing certain things that I want to do, I feel like I'll always have a, a chance to do what I really want to do. Um, like the being patient thing, like I, at 23, like I want to be doing my own thing at all the time. It's kind of difficult. I, I, I feel like I have to take it one thing at a time. Um, but what I was talking about earlier, like being an honest person, be, to me, as long as I keep doing that, I keep my soul. And I believe in a soul. I'm not sure about you. I think it's a real thing. 
I think you sell that once you start doing things just for the money, just for this and that. If I continue to avoid that type of thing, I feel like everything else falls into place. That's how I see the world. Um, so it does for sure worry me, but I also have, I, I go to the balcony as we've learned in the class and, and it does kind of calm me down too to say, hey, you're doing all right. You know, you're treating people well, doing this, doing that. You know what I mean? So you just, I mean, I can relate, certainly relate to the idea of, you know, where's my life going? How do I fit in? How do I, how do yeah. I find, you know, as a kid, I always thought of it as looking for home. Right. And that's been my, or one of my, um, themes or narratives that have been repeated over my life. So even now when I feel lost or frustrated, I'll notice myself say it. I just want to go home. I, I have a home. I, I live in a home. And, um, and it, but again, it goes to that idea. We're not talking about external things when we're saying this words right we're it's not just about it's not literally me talking about shelter right it's me talking about there's something that i, I don't feel like i've found exactly home. and in that sense i've always felt um like a wanderer 100 percent. and so here i am i'm wandering at times then i'll be i'll feel like oh i'm connecting with these people or i'm connecting with this scene or whatever it is and, and the music it's happened and certainly it's happened in film as well well there'll be short stints or I feel like, okay, I'm connected with these people. But inevitably what I realize is we were connected for a certain period of time um, because of a project, let's say. Yeah. Um, but but when you really start drilling down on it, you realize you really are alone. Right? You really yeah. are. And, and so now it's a question of like, how do I live with my aloneness and loneliness, but also be somewhat social and connect to the extent that I want to connect and then and more significantly in the way that I want to connect. So superficial small talk is just not my I don't I don't really know how to do it and it's not I'm certainly not against it, but I just inevitably want to start talking about things that resonate below the surface. Um, and that's just my disposition. So I've always been a person and I'm sure, you know, you're similar where people will tell me things and open up and talk about things and they'll say after a conversation, Hey, I, I, I can't believe I said that or yeah. whatever. So I think there's a role for us. It's just a question of what the exactly is our role. Exactly. You know, and I don't know about you. I mean, I'm 46 and I thought about becoming a therapist, but I don't like the idea of eight years of school at this point. <laughs> You're only 23. So you, I mean, it, I'm sure it doesn't feel this way. I know it doesn't feel this way, but in a sense though, there is a certain amount that you can realign if you have more of a sense of, okay, well, where do I want to go with this? And how, how, how can I best be Vincent in a way that yeah. there's always conflict, but it's moving me towards a friend of mine said something really wise to me years ago. He said, you can't escape strife. The trick is to choose it. Yeah. That's a so great way of putting it. Pick your struggle. So what would your struggle be? You know what, man? I really think for both of us, this conflict resolution is a good, is a good start. Mm -hmm. You know why? There's a couple reasons. We've already talked about it's effective to communicate this and that. There's certain things that I like about it, man. You don't have to take a, like, to be a lawyer, you have to take the bar, write the bar. Yeah. That doesn't exist in where we are. No. There's these different, There's uh, certain rounds. Yeah, but nothing like, like the bar. Yeah, yeah. I'm attracted to that, man. It's the same reason I like doing the podcast or if, you know, you're making music stuff like this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pass a test to write a song, man. You don't have to pass a test to put something on the internet. That's what I like about this stuff, man. That's why I think it's a good start. I, mean, I think you start. and I don't seem to like external criteria. We like internal criteria. Absolutely. So we like ethics. Absolutely, man. But we don't like law. Absolutely. If I don't, if I don't like how something feels, the gut thing. And you don't distrust yourself. I do That's not distrust though. myself, man. Absolutely. Um, no, I have to be cool with it. I have to. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But that's an interesting thing, right? If, if you are a person who is motivated by your own ethical code, like you said, I have a soul, and you said that it basically binds me to my existence in a way that does not permit me to commit acts against other people. I need to, in other words, I need to act in good faith. Yeah. 
And it doesn't matter if anybody's, anybody's watching, right? It's not about a third party watching. It's not about a lawyer or a cop or anything. It's like, I know when I've crossed that exactly. line. Exactly. That's a very autonomous way. That's an ethical way of looking at our own rights and obligations. Right. Um, for people who start to bridge that or, or challenge that, then you start moving towards needing a third party to do what they are unable to do themselves. Which raises a really fascinating question about morality as an imposed structure. Right. How well can it actually work? Because right. the person can always get away with stuff. They yeah. can do when nobody's looking. They can do whatever it is that they're going to do. Right. But if you're there and you're on yourself, then that's why I think for us as people, what we're thinking about is based more on how can we do what we want to do alone because we don't distrust ourselves. Like I went back to school to study composition when I was older and I was probably, I don't know, Money, you know, 36 or 37. I was in my late 30s. And a professor said to me once, we were very different personalities. He said, you know, it's like you want to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And I said, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Man. And I realized in that moment, Come for on. him, that's a bad thing. For me, it's the that's, only thing. To so me, that's fucking paradise, man. <laughs> but me? if you do, but, but we don't distrust that. Where some people feel that, well, it's not productive. And, and I am very productive. I mean, I, I read. You've got I your own way of doing I'm, things. I'm own, but I'm also very creative. I, I have a, exactly. I, I'm always making stuff and outputting stuff exactly. and, and, and a part of things that can be creative like this podcast. Yeah. Um, whereas other people, they're not. They'll go home and have a drink and watch a show and pass out. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of surviving life. Whereas I'm only sparked when the, the creative energy and to me, the idea of the outsider. I mean, I like this podcast. And I like these kinds of things because it very much feels like it's an outsider thing. It feels like maybe three people hear this. Underground. It's underground. Exactly. Like, because if it feels mainstream, then I just kind of become bored. And I think, you know, the artistic perspective is one where you're essentially kind of turning away from convention and looking the other way because you think, hey, nobody's looking over here. What's over here? Exactly. And you're not afraid to go over there. You're not think you're, you don't think it's a problem. Exactly, man. And when you talk to people about, uh, you know, it's a really interesting topic amongst my age groups, like views, likes on like Instagram, yeah, things yeah. like that. When and my age group, man, it's yeah, it's, it's I guess over. it's spreading. Yeah, um, it's it's hilarious to me. Yeah. People get anxiety if the likes aren't what they want to do. That, but that's also when I know that they really don't put stuff out there because if you're really trying to put stuff out there and not just a photo of yourself yeah. and like your boyfriend or some shit you have to be ready you almost have to guarantee listen yeah. this might not be seen or heard by a lot of people mm -hmm. you have to understand that and and uh i know that when i say to someone yeah my 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 show got like 40 listens they'll yeah. i know what they're thinking call fuck that seems like a lot to me but you put shit out. Yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. It That's is a 40 lot. 40 people who. It is a lot. To me, it's a lot out. too. Yeah. To the average person who never does those things, they, they have those, those YouTube numbers in their heads, like a 40 Katy Perry song got 50 yeah, million yeah, yeah. views. That's a big number to them. That's not a real number. You know what I mean? That's interesting. That's an interesting thing to me. It's same with money. Like, if you say to someone, hey, I turn $1 into $2, people will be like, oh, great. Because they're thinking of oh, that athlete that just signed that $30 million deal. Man, those small things are big. Yeah. And I feel like that's how you get started. It's what you were talking about before. Um, when you get – what were you saying? You are saying how – Like networking and goodwill and good faith and, and, and thinking of the common good or the – Exactly. The broader good. Or getting – as soon as you have an idea, you start thinking, how am I going to monetize it? Oh, yes, like of that. course, yeah. That's this, that's like a new thing, this likes and plays and all that. I actually, I want to ask you about this. Yeah. You were involved in music prior to the internet. Yes. I started it, playing full time in the late 80s. So not just anyone could put anything out at the time. No, uh, it was, this is just before CDs were starting to come in. Um, records were still in play, cassettes were still in play, but they were being phased out and CDs were going in. Right. Um, 
and there were still club dates and stuff like that. Not as many club dates as there was when my predecessors played, but there was still stuff happening. And yeah, you if you did a gig, it, it was common to make a poster and, and put it up on bulletin boards and right. telephone poles and all that kind of stuff. Um, you had an answering machine that had a cassette in it. Like it was, yeah. uh, it was it was more of an analog world in right. that regard. Um, I think you know the the internet was a, a whole new kind of beast. Um, I think some of the excitement, certainly in the early days, was a feeling that, oh, okay, great. We can make all sorts of money without the overhead costs. So we can have a store online. Right. Without, so we wouldn't have to hire all the employees and have a store open, but now we can sell stuff. It didn't really work out like that. Right. Um, I think musicians thought, okay, we can promote. I don't think anybody really understood that once you put everything on a CD, you've just made it zeros and ones. Which means you've made it the language of the computer, which means you can now send it. Yeah. Um, and once computers, uh, the common computer became powerful enough, um, then all of a sudden Napster and other organizations that created downloading and then later on streaming services. Arguably streaming services have had more of a negative impact than Napster ever did. Yeah. Um, it certainly had an impact, but once it became normalized, uh, it changed the musical landscape. Now, the negative side is it took away a certain component of sales. But, you know, it's been argued that labels were always taking a hell of a lot of money from the artists. Oh, yeah. Um, they had a lot more control over the artist. So you could say that the upside is the artist now has a lot more control. So there's, you know, there's a good news story here, yeah. too. Um, and I'm trying to see it from that perspective. So, you know... The albums that I make now, I'll release just digitally. And I have my own studio, so I record everything myself. Nice. And I put them out. And then if I sell $60 worth of albums, which is whatever that is in terms of iTunes or whatever, it's not very many albums. I'm still not breaking even. But in the old days, I had a 1,000 CDs sitting around, which I don't have anymore. So yeah. I don't know. It's It's a bigger question, I think. How we understand the network, uh, the networking capacity and capabilities of the internet is more interesting in terms of the art of projects like this. Yes. I think it's yeah. about getting smaller cohorts of people making stuff and being less about the big thing. But to your point, to circle back to this idea of likes, I think because we, we end up devaluing the small, that's the dangerous thing. Exactly. Because uh, if we, if we don't appreciate them making one dollar, two dollars, like my stepmother, she's in her 60s now, but my sister's 36, and she became a guide leader on my sister was a girl. A girl guide? A girl guide. Okay. And so my mother, my stepmother, remained a guider uh, as a teaching, you know, and being a leader of all of these years. She's been doing it for over 50 years. And we were talking recently, and she said, oh, I'm not really, you know, a business person this time. Her father was an inventor, and she grew up in very much a business kind of environment. But I said, but even that aside, you're the one showing them that they can do a big sale, and they can do a thing, and portage fundraiser, and they can and they can literally do what you said. They can take one dollar to make it two, make two dollars, make it four, and, she, and because she wants to show them that you can actually be self-sufficient, create projects, do all sorts of things with small amounts of money through exactly. a network. As opposed to this idea, I guess we can't do anything until a donor gets us $5,000. Exactly. Man. And for her, it's the exact opposite because she wants to empower young girls to be able to realize that you can do things with the smallest amount and build it. And you build it. And it's about the long game, exactly. not about the short game. Exactly. I think that's what's lost. It is. But you were asking me, like, or you were saying, where do we find our roles? Mm. I feel like that is a good way to find the role. You know, the long game, are we going to go well, for What that is your long game? game? My long game, man, is... You're 23, you're thinking, what the My fuck? long game is, A, sleeping well at night knowing I'm a good person. Yeah. That's a big thing, as I've discussed. Yeah. My long game is to still be doing things that I like to do. Yeah. Old. Yeah. Like, forever. Yeah. Honestly, like that's my long game. I, it's not about how successful I am at it, numbers wise, money wise, whatever. Mm. But if I'm seven years old, doing what I want, 
like listening to the music I want, able to go out and and you know pick yeah. some peppers that I'm growing. Yeah, that's what it is, man. It's got nothing to do with sacrificing myself now for money mm. to get the house, to get the car. It's got nothing to do with that. I mean, the money thing has come up for you a bunch of times, right? So it has been because I know that money is something that will never go away. And it's something that has to be addressed. And I do think money's an interesting topic because I think you could learn a lot about someone on how they feel money is. Because mm -hmm. I'm definitely not the type to think money buys you happiness. Yeah. Um. You know what it is, man. It's it's getting your own like like the turning one dollar into two dollars. I brought that up. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a huge skill. Mm. that not everyone can do and and when you can do that it's like that you really earned your money yeah. it's not a paycheck right mm. it's like it's similar to it's similar to putting out a song in my opinion yeah. man you did it the tools were there already put the song together the product was there mm. you got the money from it i just feel like man when you're able to really have a lot of ownership of everything in your life, mm. that's the long game to me, man. Have as few people to answer to as possible. Mm. Do as much of what I want to do as possible. And I always say this, people might think, what do you want to do? Nothing that's crazy. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to go name it, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm really just trying to have my own world move at my own pace. But you sound almost like a... A classic artisan right where somebody says like they're a bow maker right and they make their bows and, and they people buy their bows and they live usually outside the city where they have space and they make a priority of this is what I do is my craft is my art and they give me money for my work and I live my life it sounds like you want this very direct connection between what your hands are doing and the money that you're getting as opposed to this more abstract it is, absolutely absolutely I definitely feel that way, man, because have you gotten, like, ha, have you felt, you get, con you get, deal with mostly contracts, right? Like, you're freelance most yeah. of the time. Yeah. There's probably been situations where you didn't get paid that much, but the work you put in was so good that the money meant more than other times. Then you got paid more, but maybe it was, like, for example, the guy you were talking about, he wanted just that drama. Yeah. Like, was getting the money for that as satisfying as it was getting paid for like a project you really put out that was yours? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no. I think... Like, it's different, man. It is different. Like, every dollar is different. Just like... Just like every like is different. Every yeah. play is different. Like, they're different. Like, Well, there, there's a fallacy. I mean, a friend of mine... She did a film called Colonies, where she wrote out of the editor on it, and a composer in it. And it was around Canada 150, and CBC didn't really have any indigenous content, so they, her film was just coming out, so they licensed it. And what that meant is the CBC needed a TV cut, so we had to change the duration so it fit their schedule. And then they put their branding all over it, so it looks like the CBC made it. So that's basically what it is. And so um, they screened it. Uh, they put it on air, and they said to her, you know, 200,000 people, watch this, however they know that that happened. And she said, oh, that's great. And they go, well, actually, usually we have 250,000 people watching. And I thought, outside of the cattiness of that, which is yeah. obviously not classy, right. I thought the one thing that's fascinating, and it speaks to this whole notion of light, is it doesn't... Um, quantify what a like is. So I can be a viewer who has the TV on and doing my laundry. Yeah. Right? Like I could have left the TV on yeah, or I could have watched it a bit or I'm, I'm, I'm on, texting, I'm texting a friend yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, so there could be a pretty disengaged experience. Now, another example of this, if you go back basically almost a hundred, about a hundred years now, um, the cellist Pablo, um, Cassells, uh, he discovered this old book when he was 16 in an old bookstore, uh, the cello concerto, uh, sorry, the cello sonatas, uh, sorry, the cello suite, I should say, it's six pieces, um, by J.S. Bach. 
And Bach had written immediately, he had lived for 250-300 years previously, and he had written these pieces, and they, nobody really cared about them, they right. weren't up out of the vogue. And uh, so he found this book that nobody was really interested in, and he started playing them. Arguably the most defining repertoire for the cello is the box suite. Um, so this thing that was completely forgotten about, that nobody liked on any massive level, was found by this 16-year-old kid who found this book in a used bookstore, his cello suite by Bach. Brought it home and started playing it, and then later on he recorded it, and then other cellists, and then it became... So the thing that I find so problematic about this generic like thing is it doesn't qualify the meaning of what an individual can do. It doesn't take into account individuals who have overcome um, adversity who are still influencing us, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, you think about, this is one example, say Malcolm X. Malcolm X is arguably more influential now on social change internationally than he, and he was usually influential when he was alive. But his force and his presence and his words um, remain a huge influence on people. And it's expanded, I would say. Yeah. Um, so this idea of just likes and they're not really digging into what it means is problematic. That that's like what I feel like playing the long game is. You know, I wasn't really able to phrase it very well. But to me, playing the long game is always doing what you want to do in terms of your work, like creatively. Yeah. Because it will pay off at some point. You might even not be here to see it pay off. Which is kind of unfortunate, but if that helps other people down the line, and it doesn't have to be like it reaches a million people, but your grandkids, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Story you told them, things like that. To me, that's playing the long game. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's something to that, man. You might not see, you might not ever get any um, financial gain from it, whatever. You have to be willing to do that, though. And, well, the uh, question is, what are you doing it for? And I mean, my father's a painter, and he doesn't sell his work to work in the government because he decided he didn't want to be a working painter and kind of portraits. So he paints as he likes, um, and I, he's always painting. Um, he will not sell. He will not do an art show. Exactly. Um, as far as he goes, and he, he has a website puts his paintings, but that's in a similar way to your podcast. He's doing this he wants to, but yeah. he does not, and he is adamant about it. He does not want to mix money and art. He thinks. The moment you do that, you're introducing something into the artistic process that has its own set of interests, right? And so an example would be um, if you think about Jackson Pollock, right? And we know his paintings are the so-called action paintings, which are yeah. the more pointillistic kind of energy paintings, you know, the splashes all of paint all over. Yeah. But, but he wanted to change, as all artists do, and transform, but he became known as that. So his brand ended up kind of boxing him in. This has happened with musicians too. All the right? time. You know, Bob Dylan's band, he was all folk and then he decided to go electric. It was like, what the fuck are you doing? And, yeah. you know, now it seemed kind of charming that people were upset about it, but at the time it was a big deal yeah. that he went electric. So, you know, this, this idea of transforming is a natural part of the artistic perspective. However, from a branding perspective, that's a fucking disaster, right? Yeah. So, and the money that the people want to get out of it are like, listen, if you could just keep on doing the same thing over and over again, we know how much money you make. We know how much money you make. Yeah. Get. So, but that's not art. No. That's entertainment, maybe. Exactly. That's, you know, it can be enjoyable. It can be high quality. But it is not somebody saying, I am doing this as an auteur. In exactly. other words, I am the sole author of this. That's a very different mentality. Very. You can't, you can't put a price on that, man. I mean... I don't want to sound like I'm imposing this on people. I don't really care, right? It's just a matter no. of if that's what a person's doing, that's what they're doing. Exactly. If they want to be, you know, if they if they want to survey an audience, or what kind of music do you want me to write? That's fine too. It doesn't matter to me. Exactly. But I think if you are, an, uh, you know, of an auteur mind like you are, I think the thing that can be challenging is when we're in this public setting, we can start to feel like, are we doing it wrong? Should I think about likes? And my answer is no, right? It. Um, Great answer. The idea is to never be found, right? The I, and I shouldn't say never be found. The idea is to never be found unless somebody wants to find you. Exactly. And it's that it's a great mystery. Way of putting it. 
you know, that, that unknown, this sense of, wait a second, there's something here that I discovered. Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity. Absolutely, man. Fuck, Jordan, that was a great conversation, man. We're yeah. uh, about uh, over an hour now. Okay. <laughs> I feel like this place is going to fucking lock us in. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah we got to get it in lock us up. Jordan, I really appreciate you coming on, man. You definitely uh, have an interesting perspective on things. Um, much appreciated. Do you have any stuff you want to kind of promote going on? No. Just, you know, just being, just being yourself. <laughs> I'm just, just doing my yourself. thing, making music, making films. Even better, away. man. Well, highly appreciate it, man. You're always giving me a shout. If you ever want to come back on. Absolutely, Get man. a beer or whatever. Yeah, appreciate um, it. My pleasure, man. Love it, man. Thanks All for right. having me on. Versatile Vigilante, Jordan O'Connor. There we go.